rising inflation, a soon-to-be tightening Fed, and throw in a little geopolitical uncertainty. What does it mean for global bond markets? Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of March 7th, 2022. And today I'm going to call back to something I said last week about the investment environment. When there's lots of uncertainty around us, it's important to root our investment perspective in the fundamentals of what's driving the market. Where will those fundamentals be when the dust settles? A big portion of that fundamental picture is the path of interest rates ahead. And so today, on the eve of new inflation data this week and a show-stopping Fed meeting next week, I am thrilled to have our VIP of fixed income investing back with us, Steve. Siansi is the co-head of Global Fixed Income at Mackay Shields and a friend of the Multi-Asset Solutions team in the Market Matters podcast. Steve is a bright and shining example of why it's so beneficial to be a part of an investments platform of experienced and collaborative investors like we have at New York Life Investments. Steve, thanks so much for joining us again on the show. Lauren, it's absolutely my pleasure, and thank you for the introduction. Well, Steve, you joined us last in December, which only a couple months ago, but it already feels like a very different time for the global economy and markets. And one of the reasons why we love conversations with you is that you bring a full picture perspective. The team's investment process includes top-down macro assumptions and a look at fixed income circumstances from the ground up or bottoms up analysis as well. So let's maybe start with the macro picture, and then we'll work our way around can you position this market today? You know, where are we in the economic cycle? What does that tell a fixed income investor about the environment for rates ahead? Lauren, we believe that we're in the middle part of the expansion. And with the Fed actually beginning to raise rates, we know that there'll be a rate rise at, at the March meeting. There'll probably be a series of rate rises for the next few meetings. And as well, we know that the thrust of fiscal stimulus is behind us. And this leads us to believe that the economy will still grow and, and grow smartly, but not at the rapid pace we were experiencing in the beginning of the expansion. We also, as, as measuring parts of the economy, were comfortable with the idea that we don't see the, the fraying in parts of the economy that you would typically see in the late cycle, specifically around areas of leverage. Well, the last time that we spoke, I mean, you bring up um, a lot of interesting points, but we had discussed that investors should expect interest rates volatility ahead, in part because of some of this waning policy support. And you know, as we as we sit here now, a couple months later, I think it's safe to say that interest rates volatility has been a staple of the market environment since then. How does your team manage these periods of rapidly changing assumptions around? policy and interest rates like you've described? So importantly, one of the mechanisms we like to use is not only thinking about interest rate risk from an overall perspective, but also how we place it along the yield curve. And so coming into the end of the third quarter, the very early part of the fourth quarter of last year, we became very nervous about the volatility of interest rates, but where the, that volatility would reside, we believe would be very much in the shortest maturity bonds. And so we positioned portfolios to be underweight seven, five, and two-year type maturities and overweight 
10, 20, and 30-year maturities, something that's known in the market as a flattening position. So we were, we were positioned for rates to go up in shorter maturities and to be more stable in longer maturities. And that played out very nicely. In the beginning of this year, and probably in the early parts of February, now that we're in March, but in the early parts of February, the market was pricing in almost six to seven interest rate hikes. And we felt that at that point, that shorter maturity bonds and that flattening that we experienced, for instance, looking at a spread curve of 30-year treasuries, less five-year treasuries, actually traded inside 40 basis points or 0.4 percentage points. We thought that the market had discounted a lot of what happened. And so we actually removed a good bit of our flattener and actually went more neutral and actually overweighted a little bit on a tactical basis, those shorter maturity bonds. So we try to be very tactical. Throughout this process, we've remained from our index aware portfolios, very neutral to the benchmark. And in our unconstrained or strategic bond portfolios, we've remained more defensively positioned on a relative basis. So managing the yield curve exposure and being tactical with it is certainly a way to digest the volatility that we've seen in the marketplace. Where do you see the market positioned today relative to what you expect from yeah. Fed's hiking? I love what you said about you know the market expecting six to seven rate hikes, that feeling like a, a, a big change in assumptions pretty quickly and has come back mm-hmm. a bit, especially as the market is digesting some of these growth concerns related to the Russia-Ukraine crisis. You know, we have some of the the Fed governors out there saying that they expect closer to four hikes, four hikes mm-hmm. at 25 basis points, so about 100 basis points mm-hmm. worth of, of tightening over the course of the year. The markets still expect more. Is it somewhere in between? Or maybe it doesn't matter when it comes to being flexible in a portfolio like you're describing. Oh, it matters. What the Fed does matters a lot, especially in our investment process. And I'd say that we've been working under the thesis that this is a removal of stimulus, not a Fed that is trying to tighten policy and crater the economy, right? So a removal of stimulus has played itself out in a number of ways. I'd say that it feels very clear to me that we should expect, even with the volatility of the war in the Ukraine, we should still expect consecutive rate hikes in the first three meetings. I would suspect that the Fed needs to get moving. It's clear that they have been managing to be behind the curve purposefully, and they need to start catching up. And so three rate hikes sounds right to me very quickly. Then I believe that we'll need to see how the data evolves and how the inflation data evolves. Because as you know, we'll be rolling off some very large inflation prints, and those base effects will change in the data. And so we'll have to see how that evolves. It feels as though the question around four or five rate hikes is appropriate this year. So I don't think if it's four or five, it'll make a tremendous difference. It would make a tremendous difference if it's only three. <laughs> so I do think that we're probably more in the camp of, of 100 basis points of rate hikes. And there is you know, debate on our team whether there'll be a move at every meeting. I, I feel like that what's happened in the marketplace, especially with the movements in oil, and we have to remember that the Fed raising rates and oil skyrocketing has been a horrible cocktail for economies, for developed economies. It's often been the cocktail that results in a recession. And so we're really, really cognizant of that. But we have to see how that evolves. Lastly, it's not just a tightening of interest rate policy, but it's also a runoff of the balance sheet. And as we're aware, we're at $9 trillion in the balance sheet. And the balance sheet is likely to get smaller. How it gets smaller 
in the speed in which it gets smaller will also be impactful to how the market moves. And so I, it's an unprecedented time in a lot of ways when you have you know, a flight to quality because of obvious reasons in the marketplace, but yet you have oil and commodity prices raging. At what point does it become more of a tax than an inflationary impulse? And I think that that's something the market's going to have to battle with. Well, then let, let's dig deeper into what you're describing, this cocktail, so to speak, of potentially higher energy prices, interest rates increasing at the same time. Last week on the podcast, we shared a bit of the multi-asset solutions team's geopolitical playbook. And one of the things that we talked about was just an approach to uncertainty being something you've already mentioned, which is building flexibility. And you're talking about government bonds, the impact of interest rates, but your team looks at so much more than just government bonds. And so I'm just curious in this, you know, rapidly changing environment where we have to reconsider some of our growth assumptions and interest rate assumptions, mm -hmm. how do you balance the macro drivers that we've been discussing with unexpected events like this? What does that just tactically look like in your portfolio management process? I would say that the discipline of our portfolio management process really involves understanding where we are in the cycle. So that's the top-down component, and we believe we're in the mid part of the cycle, and then executing the bottom-up component in understanding how security pricing will help influence our sector weightings. And so what I would tell you is, is that through January and February, we were trimming at the edges in our portfolios of securities that look more fully priced and trying to add more liquidity into the marketplace for a number of reasons. Firstly, there was a sense that our counterparties on Wall Street were unwilling to do what they normally do in the first quarter of the year is usually take on quite a bit of risk. And it felt like there was more of a desire for liquidity from the street. And so securities, and we've been steadily widening in the marketplace, right? Just a, just a level set for everyone. You know, a triple B corporate is some 30 to 40 basis points wider this year. A high yield bond is 85 basis points wider a year. And an emerging market debt bond is 120 basis points wider this year. So there's been quite a bit of credit spread widening, which you would anticipate when the equity market is down and volatility is up and this level of uncertainty is permeating the marketplace, not only with regard to monetary policy, but the geopolitical risk you speak about. So creating more liquidity in your portfolio and namely in cash or government bonds to ultimately deploy at cheaper levels has been kind of the movement in our portfolios for the better part of the last two months we still are very high on parts of the marketplace, certainly in the housing sector and in other parts of the market that we can talk about. That point that you're making about liquidity is really fascinating. And one, I think that maybe our listeners who maybe aren't in the fixed income market day in and day out might be less familiar with. So I'll just ask if there's anything additional you'd like to share with respect to some of the liquidity droughts lately and the opportunities that that's opened for your team. Yeah, for sure. It's been notable that you know smaller issuers or lower credit quality or subordinated bonds have underperformed higher quality and larger issuer bonds in this marketplace. And even on the run and off the run treasuries have had a dynamic where there's been more liquidity, tighter bid ask spreads in on the run treasuries versus off the run treasuries. These are all things, nothing like March 2020, by the way, when the market was completely broken. This is more modest. But nevertheless, it signals that you want to maintain some dry powder in your portfolio when you see things like this happen. And so that's the driver of what we see. So it really does permeate itself from how we see securities trading in the marketplace. 
That's really, really interesting what you're saying about quality. And, and for our listeners, this is a set of indicators, what Steve have just described, that we pay attention to even at the asset allocation level or even for equity investors. You know, equity markets have a tendency to be quite volatile, but when you do see lower quality credits or really any disintegration in the credit market, investors of all asset classes take note. So the insight that Steve is sharing there is really something else. And we've worked our way, Steve, closer to the bottoms up segment of, of mm-hmm. your team's analysis. And so as a macro person, I have to turn the mic over to you and just ask what you're seeing. Are there any particularly interesting developments that or, or themes that you're noticing in the market? Yeah, I, I'd say that from a bottom up perspective, I'll, t- I'll tell you one thing we don't like and one thing we do. How about that? That's always a good way to do it. One of the situations in the marketplace that we're not too fond of has been agency mortgage-backed securities that are kind of discount or par-priced mortgage-backed securities. We remain either underweight in in our index relative portfolios or or not in them at all in our kind of strategic bond portfolios. And there's still a heavy weight on those securities as the Fed will no longer be buying them. Those securities will have likely have max runoff as they prepay away from the Fed's balance sheet, and then ultimately some potential for even the Fed to sell them down the road. I I don't think that's likely this year, but down the road. So there's certainly a weight on those securities from a technical perspective and a supply-demand imbalance there. So that's something we don't like in the portfolios. We've been shunning those and underweight those in a pretty large way, frankly. From another portion, and I loved your comment earlier about leaning in the fundamentals. And so there's a part of the marketplace that we've been very fond of, and it's been in subordinated financial debt. And of course, when you have an event like a war and taking a major economy off SWIFT and sanctions occur, there's always a fear of unintended consequences. And so clearly that could really harness itself in banks. And we've seen subordinated bank paper namely preferreds and AT1 securities in Europe, underperformed this year fairly dramatically. So there, I mentioned that high yield is some 80 basis points wider. These securities are over 100 basis points wider in some cases, um, yielding close to 6 percentage points and at discounts. And they look very, very attractive to us. And so we've been thinking in that rotation that we've been doing, we've been thinking about selling securities in the portfolio that have performed well and rotating into, into securities that we still believe in fundamentally that have underperformed due to this kind of geopolitical volatility. And I would say that those preferred securities are the poster child for that right now. So I, I believe that they'll, they'll do very well over time. Well, Steve, you've beat me to our portfolio pause, which is a segment of the program you know well, where we share an investment idea. And frankly, we've covered a lot of great insight already. All, all the more reason to put you on the spot now. One minute or less, is there anything that we've missed? Any particularly high conviction ideas that you see in the market? I'll tell you something that I'm, I'm looking at very closely. And it was interesting just talking about how liquidity and a change in policy can harness itself and create an opportunity in the marketplace. And in this short period of time, we've seen a massive rally in European government bonds, think German bonds. And typically, when there's a flight to quality, you would experience that some of the southern countries, like Italian bonds, would underperform Germany, if you will. But this week, what we've seen is, is that Italian bonds have ratcheted tighter And so there was probably some bad positions related to what the ECB would do with regard to its balance sheet over time. But now with the war occurring, 
and its implications for growth on the continent, as well as ability to think about the gradualistic nature of policy in Europe and their inflation pressures being very different than ours. I do believe there could be an opportunity in European government bonds. And so I believe some of that rally will retrace itself and we, we, we may be looking to add to exposure there, actually to initiate exposure there. Well, it's been a while, Steve, since you have seen my office at the home office um, in, in New York City. But I have a, a cutout, a life-size cutout of Mario Draghi in my office from my days analyzing Europe. That's a really, really interesting idea. And I'll be curious to see how it unfolds in the coming months. It has been such a pleasure to have you back today. Um, good luck in the next few weeks with inflation and the Fed and all things investing around us. We hope to have you join us again soon. Lauren, thank you so much. You're awesome. Really appreciate it. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamox and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There's no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. Mackay Shields LLC is an affiliate of New York Life Investments. Not all products and services provided by Mackay Shields may be available to all investors, limited by applicable laws and regulations in certain jurisdictions. Any opinions expressed are the views and opinions of certain investment professionals at Mackay Shields, which are subject to change without notice. No part of this material may be reproduced in any form or referred to in any other publication without the express written permission of Mackay Shields. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nye Life Distributors LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nye Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.